looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, through chapter 7, verse 1. A section that I call separation. If you would please join with me in prayer. And as we prepare to read the Word of God. Father, as we move into a season where the world celebrates the birth of this child. Father, we who are called by your name. May our hearts, our souls, our minds, our strength. Focus on the amazement of you before us to redeem us. Father, as we look at this text and think of it in light of serving. Father, may we pay attention. First and foremost, Father, the amazing things you have done. And yet, Father, the warning that you give. And Father, may we rest in the assurance that 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 you have called us to, you shall accomplish. Father, let us rest full weight upon you. To your glory, to your praise. Help us, Father, to have ears. Help us to have wide open souls to hear these truths. To pay attention. To you, King of Kings. To you, Lord of Lords. May we press on. For the upward calling. Walking in a manner worthy. To you. In Christ and Christ alone. Amen. 614-71 Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light and darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said... I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I am really belaboring this point because this is crucial when I think about ministry. A person comes to salvation. They begin growing in the knowledge of who it is that saved them. I was talking to my Sunday school today that I have run into multiple people who tell me they believe in God. My response is always the same to every one of them. What does he look like? That's great. I'm glad you believe in God. What's he look like? Okay, because now they have to stop and think about what they just said. All right. When I think about ministry, there is no greater passion in a Christian's life. There's nothing else in a Christian life that takes its place. There's nothing that you can substitute for it. It is a passion. It is a driving force to serve he who saved you. Period. 
But one of the things that we run into that is a detriment to our ministry is not being separate. Okay, and 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 I've watched this verse get butchered, um, uh, and 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 there's times that I believe that it's used for convenience, and that's what I've been dealing with. The issue here that you have to pay attention to is that there are only two worlds. Okay, he lists them there: believers and unbelievers, lawlessness and righteousness, darkness and light, Belial. And Christ, idols in the temple of the living God. Period. Real straightforward. It's not complicated. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a master of the Greek language. It just lays right out there and he says there's just two. But what is he saying here to separate from unbelievers? I mean, separate from unbelievers... Do I need to go to the moon? Because everywhere around us is unbelievers. And we've been looking at it because I've watched people who will tell you this deals with marriage. Well, I love you, but it doesn't. Okay, it has nothing to do with marriage. Well, what about dating? Ain't got nothing to do with dating. Business. If you're going to do business, you only do business with believers. That's not what this is talking about. I know what it is. It's politics. Uh, no, that ain't what it's talking about. Education is not what it's talking about. It's not talking about your forms of recreation. It is not talking about your forms of entertainment. Okay? And yet in those things, we looked at this last week, God has given the, us and the Corinthians limits. Okay? And the Corinthians would have understood the limits. They, they understood what this was about. Listen, Corinth was a wicked city. Uh, you guys cannot understand the evil that was in Corinth. All right? I mean, you may have gone... I have had privilege sometimes to travel into some foreign countries and see some things there that you're like, well, I wonder who thought that up. Okay? Uh, and, and it was evil, but it can't hold a candle to Corinth. Can't hand a, hand, hold a candle to it. And if I look at actually the cities in the Greek Empire, what were the Greek Empire, uh, it was horrific. It was horrific. Uh, it was so horrific in the cities that it was very common that when you had housing, you did not have open windows to the streets. Okay? For a whole number of reasons. All right. And everything had gates to courtyards. Okay. They have found uh, architectural designs on walls that you and I, it was like a, a, a carving in a wall that you and I would classify as pornographic. Okay. And that was just commonplace to walk down the streets and to have this stuff out there. What is this that the Apostle Paul is saying? Be separate for unbelievers. How do you have a church in a city like this and say be separate from unbelievers? What does that mean? Go to Athens? Okay. And I've seen this been in the past. I mean, you've seen, what's his name? The, the, the pastor who was starting his little community down in Florida that was all believers. Okay. And apartment buildings and all the rest of it. But he was skimming off large sums of money 
uh, so it didn't really come to fruition. And I've seen it over and over and over again. Well, let me share with you a couple of things that you can kind of, that might help you. Because today I lay why and what is he saying. If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In chapter 10, he compares Israel to what's going on in the evangelical community, the church at the time. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the seas. All were baptized into Moses in that cloud and in the sea. And they all ate of the same spiritual food. And they all drank of the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from the spiritual rock which followed them. The rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. For they were laid low in the wilderness. Okay? What happened? Well, he's talking about the picture of redemption. Okay? What you call, the ladies are studying the Passover where God brought them out of Egypt. Okay? And he brought the nation out. Okay? You can look at it as a as, as being redeemed. They've been removed from that place and God has brought them forth. Is that not a picture of salvation? Now look what he says, verse 6. Now these things happened as what? Examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Okay, you've got a group of people, they've been redeemed. God's work brought them out. Look what he says in verse 7. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. What was the issue that got Israel in trouble in the wilderness? Idolatry. They wanted to go back to where God had brought them out. Okay? They were brought out of Egypt, a new covenant. Remember in 2 Corinthians 5, we have a contrasting covenant. God, in, in the old covenant, Moses went before God. In the new covenant, we go before God. That's the contrast. It's a redeemed people. And the redeemed people did what? Started worshiping idols. After God brought them out. We all sit around and go, them crazy bunch of Israelis. And I'm sitting there going, look around you, church. You've been brought out and you want to go back. Why do you want to go back? Was that better? I, I try to tell people, when is your flesh satisfied? When does your flesh get it? I've had enough. I mean, you ever thought about it on Thanksgiving? We sit down and eat until we're about sick. We take a nap so we can what? Get up and eat again. 
What if I miss something? He's saying, Corinthians, why would you go back to paganism after being redeemed? Remember the Jews? Moses went up on the mountain to get the law. What did the Jews conclude while Moses was gone? Let's take all of our gold and make a what? Golden calf. Where did they learn that at? The place that they had been redeemed from. And what Israel did, Corinth was repeating. Corinth was repeating. Drop down there to verse 14. What should you do? Therefore, my beloved, flee. Flee idolatry. Don't go back. Why? Because you've been of one bread. You've been of one people. You've been of one drink. You've been of one stone. Why would you go back? See, an idol is nothing. It's just a statue, a stone statue. Behind the idol is a demon. The demon concluded, hey, I can get these people to worship me. And you think about it. We're... I listened to us talk about the wisdom of man, and the more I listened to it, I was telling my Sunday school class this morning, I remember growing up in middle school, we used to have these drills where they would have a nuclear attack drill, and you'd get under your little wooden desk. Perfect. Kindling. You know, what are you going to do under a desk in a nuclear attack? Okay, but they, you, well, we're doing something. Perfect. What will it do? Nothing. I concluded a nuclear attack. Stand up and see the pretty colors. Be done with it. But see, the wisdom is what? And what demons do is that, here, let me dangle something out here that will make you feel better and you'll worship it. We were created to worship. Have you ever noticed that? We can create, we can worship men and women. Okay, we can worship sports. We can worship cars. We can worship mountains and oceans. You name it, we'll worship it. We strive to find things to worship. We work hard at it. Paul is saying, Corinthians, you've been redeemed. An idol is nothing. An idol is nothing, but there is a demon that is behind the worship. Okay, I have been, I grew up, um, I loved concerts. Okay, and I mean rock concerts. And I grew up (laughs) with the real rock concert stuff. Okay, and I remember going to these and half the fun was to watch the people. People are just there to... You're going to, I bet you wouldn't do that in public. <laughs> and just because it's the Grateful Dead, you think you got permission. Or what? Okay, I, I, I can't even begin to tell you some of the things that I saw at concerts. And you just sit there and you go, huh, that's interesting. But I remember me leaving afterwards. I, I don't know if you guys, some of you may know or might, may not know. White Castle hamburgers. 
they're about that big around. And it's really cool because you, you can buy like a million of them and they stuff them in a bag. And before you can get out the store, there's so much grease has come out of the bottom of the bag from them little hamburgers. Okay. But you always went to White Castle after a concert. And I'm sitting there going, I look back on that right now and think, what must my heart look like? <laughs> I mean, I could sit down and drink a bucket of oil and not have the grease that I would ingest by one bag of White Castles. But they are good. <laughs> and I've learned, give thanks and eat. <laughs> Verse 20 of this text. I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. Now, in Corinth, there was all kinds of temples for everything. And they all had the same thing going on. Paul says, I don't want you to share with the demons. Okay. So when I read this text and he says, I want you to separate, he says, you just can't go back to that other stuff. Verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he, are we? You think you're stronger than Israel? Do you understand that except for two, none of them ever come out of the wilderness? Two. A million five went into the wilderness. Conservative numbers. Two went into the promised land of that generation. You think about that. You're stronger. You can go play with the idols. And what he's trying to say is we've got two worlds, people. You can't bounce in and out of them. The Corinthians were being sucked back into that life. They're mixing truth with false. False teachers. False teachers are described as angels of light. You ever thought about that? See, you and I have bought, um, well, you guys probably don't, some of you don't remember the movie Exorcist. Okay, and we always think that that's what the demons are. No, they're angels of light. They don't spit projectile green soup vomit. Okay, well, they're wearing a pentagram. Anything that has a circle is demonic. Dude, have you looked at your tires? You, but I listen to this stuff and I'm sitting there going, you're out of your minds. The Corinthians were speaking in tongues. They were speaking in pagan babble. They were drunk at the Lord's table. That they get from the table of Bacchus. And in their ecstatic language, 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says they were actually cursing the Lord, claiming that the Holy Spirit was doing it. 
know, I listen to some pastors here in town and they're always talking about spiritual gift this and spiritual gift that, spiritual gift this. And, and you listen to them and every once in a while I have to. What do you do with the gift of discernment? Supernatural ability to discern. And you know what I watch today? You don't have to have a supernatural gift. Jiminy crickets. I can look around and say, have you not read? You're looking at an ecstatic experience and what you're looking at is demonic worship. He can't say that. Did. Already did. It's not true. It's not true. Well, you don't believe in the gift of tongues? Absolutely, I believe in the gift of tongues. But I also believe it has to be exercised in the light of Scripture. And the light of Scripture says it is for this unbelieving people as a sign of judgment. That's what the gift of tongues is for. No problem. I don't have any problem with that. What is the unbelieving people? This Israel. So what you're telling me, if you were exercising the gift of tongues in your church, you got a bunch of unbelieving Jews in your church. There you go. That's not that complicated, people. Go over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15 and following. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of prostitutes? May it never be. Okay, I've already shared with you that the common practice in the temple religions of Corinth had to do with priestesses. And they were basically temple prostitutes. And you paid money to have sex with the priestess. And that would be a spiritual thing. And, um, I, you know, whatever. All right. What was happening in Corinth is, let me go back to that religion because then I can go back and try to evangelize the priestess. Right? Give her a $20 bill and, hey, you want to hear about Jesus? Really? And Paul's saying, you can't do that. And Duh. But who, tell me I'm wrong. He writes to the Romans and he says, should I continue to sin that grace would abound more? Really? Why does the prosperity gospel flourish? It flourishes. Anywhere you drop that bugger, it grows. How's come? Because God's going to give you everything you ever wanted. He's going to give you things you didn't even know you needed. Verse 16. Do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says that the two shall become one flesh. Verse 17. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. What does he say to do in verse 18? Flee. So I'm told to flee idolatry and I'm supposed to flee immorality. When you think about joining with a prostitute in the city of Corinth, you know that you're already in idolatry. Do you ever see that? Idolatry leads to what? Immorality. 
Why? You will start heaping to yourself false teachers because you want your conscience to feel better. Paul is saying you're going to go back to the old immorality, the old idolatry. Really? And then once you do that, you will start being confused by false teaching and you get sucked back into what the culture is teaching. Look at the church today, people. The church is buying lock, stock, and barrel what the culture is teaching. And it begins with idolatry. And once you step into idolatry, you will start getting yourself some false teachers together so your conscience doesn't bother me. So when I cross over into immorality, it isn't that big a deal. Paul says, do not be bound together with unbelieving unbelievers. He's calling you and I for separation. He called the Corinthians. Listen, what you're seeing there in that verse, just that little bitty phrase, do not be bound together with unbelievers. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Is dealing with the spiritual level. Please understand that this is important. Now listen, I want to give you a little footnote here. People use this that verse, do not be bound with unbelievers, that you don't marry an unbeliever. Okay? That is not what that text is teaching. I will give you a footnote. There is no greater spiritual enterprise than marriage. Okay? Um, <clears throat> you look at so many marriages today in the church. I'm not going to talk about lost people. They're under God's condemnation. I'm talking about in the church today. And those marriages are nothing but temporal. Period. You think I'm kidding you? Ask yourself a question. What's the greatest trial in a marriage right now? What causes more problems in a marriage today than anything? Oh, that's eternal. Right? And it goes across the board. It's in the church. Our marriage ain't working. Why? We're broke. Perfect. Isn't that not, is that not what men and the temporal teaches? Marriage is Christ and his church. It is view. It is seen. Paul is saying, go back to spiritual truth. Go back to spiritual truth. In the spiritual realm, you cannot plug or play with false religion. I watch people who will go buy books and books and books on the Mormons, on the Jehovah's Witnesses, on the Catholics, and I'm going to know all of these cults and all the rest of it. And I'm sitting there going, you're wasting your time. You're immersing yourself in the false. Know what truth is. I can spot the false. You can't be yoked. You cannot yoke true teachers and false teachers. Can't happen. There's no way. It's, it's, if you use the analogy of, of Deuteronomy, there's no way that an ox and a donkey are going to cut a straight line. 
Not only that, the guy who's trying to move the plow is going to be frustrated. True Christianity. You're really going to take true Christianity and bind it with false, damnable, demonic lies. Brilliant. I think that's a great idea. Separate from the old. Now listen, I, I want you, because I, I watch, well, you'll see here in a minute. This is not uncommon to the church. Please hear me. Okay, don't think, well, I'm sitting there and my pastor loves the Bible and I listen to the Bible and therefore, really? Who founded the church in Corinth? I'm thinking that's a pretty good Stable foundation that that bugger got started on. What do you think? Let me ask you a question. Who founded the church in Ephesus? Paul. Okay. Why did he send Timothy back to straighten up false teaching? 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 18. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you. That by them, you fight the good fight. All right. That sounds good. Paul wants me to fight the good fight. What is that? Keeping the faith with a good conscience. Which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Harmanius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. You're looking at a church that the Apostle Paul trained up the leadership and part of the leadership he had to throw out of the church because they were shipwrecking the faith of some and were teaching blasphemy. And he had... How mean-spirited... To kick somebody out of the church. He gave them over. Why? You can't allow them to stay in the church. Chapter 4, verse 1. But the Spirit explicitly says in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. By means of hypocrisy of liars, sear their own conscience as with branding iron. The doctrine of demons in the church? Yeah. This is the church in Ephesus. This is where Timothy's trying to straighten up the mess. Chapter 6, verses 3 and following. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of the Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and he understands nothing. But he has morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions. And constant friction between men of depraved mind, deprived of truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. (laughs) Gosh, he sounds mean. Doesn't he understand if you do that? I think you're conceited. 
of a depraved mind following the doctrine of demons. Oh, there you go. That'll win, friends. Verse 20. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and all the opposing arguments that is falsely called knowledge. Listen, he's dealing with the church that he founded and he sent Timothy to do it. And he says, you've got to guard yourself, Timothy. And you know what? I cannot tell you how many times I run into this. Weekly. Okay? People want to act intellectual, act knowledgeable. And they throw something out there and you think, yeah, well, I ain't going to tell you what I think. And I'm sitting there going, do you not understand it is given once for all. You're not brilliant. Listen, I, I want to share with you something that I have witnessed. In this community, Casarock, Colorado, this little area, is one of the largest um, followings of mysticism that I've ever seen. Okay? I, I don't even, and, and I mean, it's blended with all kind of stuff, you know, tree huggers, uh, you, you mix that with um, magic, uh, we have a large uh, magical group, Wiccan, whatever they call it, Wicked, <laughs> sorry, Freudian slip, um, you, you can mix into their quote unquote counseling, all right, you throw all this together and everybody's wanting to experience and they all got this idea and they all got that idea. And, and I listen to it and you have no idea how entrenched it is in this community. I guarantee you, you don't. It's massive. The number one assault that Satan has on the church, number one throughout history, it has not changed. Is that he wants to blend error in the church. Listen, you've watched too much Hollywood. He's not throwing big black devils at you and blowing up buildings. He wants to help. Let me help you be all you can be in Jesus. He wants to get in to the church. He wants to teach lies. He wants to teach error. He wants to teach bad theology. How bad is it? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard a Christian use this phrase? Free will? You ever heard that? Okay. You know the Bible says there is no such thing? The closest thing I can give to you to free will is when Adam ate of a fruit. Okay, and from that point on, it's either you're slave to sin, slave to righteousness. Let me ask you a question. How much free will does a slave have? It ain't there. It ain't there. So you see how I'm trying to get you. You don't understand how enmeshed it already is. And when I stand up, people are like, are you kidding me? Uh, no. I'm not. I'm not. It's, it's like psychology in the church. All right? Let me share with you something about psychology. Do you know who the father of psychology is? Sigmund Freud. 
He wrote an outstanding paper on paranoia. Okay? You know why? He's a cokehead. And if you've ever done coke, you know that one of the side effects is paranoia. So he became an expert on it. And that is what birthed psychology. Why is the church embracing that? He was an atheist. Why do we embrace that? All psychology is behavior modification. So is prison. That works well. Just keep them locked up. They won't commit another crime. Brilliant. Our enemy is extraordinarily subtle. Our enemy sounds good. But do you understand that the Apostle Paul, in all of his love and compassion and mercy, said it's nothing but the doctrine of demons? That is how the father of lies work. That's what he was doing in Corinth. And Paul says, you can't mix the two. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. All right. That means you've got to work at it. All right. Be diligent to show yourself approved to God. Every Christian says, I want to do that. I want to do that. All right. How do you do that? As a workman who does not need to be ashamed. All right. What? Accurately handling the word of God. Okay. Avoid worldly and empty chatter. For it will lead to further ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Uh, first funeral I ever went to was my great uncle's. And I'd gone down with my dad. Um, he'd gone into the hospital. He had a foot cut off, uh, amputated. Gangrene. Now, this has been a few years ago, please. Okay, so I, I know I've got some health professionals in here and they're going to say, well, we've changed a lot of that. It wasn't changed when I got down there. I walked into that room and I never will ever, ever, never, ever forget that smell. Okay? Rotting flesh. Okay? I'll never forget that smell. Gangrene. He ended up losing both of his legs just above the knee uh, and ended up killing him. And I remember going into the funeral home and that smell was still there. Okay? Handle the word accurately. Because if you don't, you're going to get the smell of rotting flesh. It, gangrene rots from the inside out. It's, it's like rust. You know, you know uh, when rust finally blisters the paint, you're about a day late and a dollar short. I hear the teacher of lies today, and we are told to handle the word uh, of God accurately. And I've listened to this thing that I call it today, the hermeneutics of humility. Okay? And you listen to it, it says, when I come to the word of God, I'm just so humbled to be looking at the word of God. How can a feeble man like me really know what he's saying? What? Then why did he give it to us? I don't understand that. That is silly. 
2 verse 20. In a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but there are vessels of wood and of earthenware. And some to honor and some to dishonor. Dishonor here is the waste of the house. Uh, some of you don't remember. There was a time when we didn't have garbage disposals. Okay. And what you had was a bucket. Okay. And you cleaned the plates off in the bucket. And then when the bucket got really full or it got humid. <laughs> if it got humid, you emptied the bucket quicker. Okay, if it wasn't humid, but you'd take it out and you had a pail that you put the, that was what you called garbage. Old nasty food. That's the term he's using. Okay, they didn't have indoor plumbing. Guess what? In the middle of the night, the urge comes. What do you do? You go get your bucket same term the waste of the house and what he's saying here is that in the house of god there is gold and silver there's some of earthenware and wood some of honor some of dishonor be careful that you're not a vessel of dishonor i have to ask you what kind of vessel are you are you cleansed from false teaching you stay away from it. The error, the lies. You cannot coexist with this stuff. It ruins those who listen. Know that the judgment is harsher for those who teach. It leads to ungodliness. It leads to gangrene. It leads to the rotting of the flesh from the inside out. It upsets the faith. It shipwrecks people. Any linking together with an unbeliever in any religious spiritual enterprise, that's what's being talked about in this text. It doesn't got anything to do with mutual funds. It doesn't have anything to do with schools, your neighborhood, your job, brothers, sisters, relatives who are unbelievers. It says that when you're dealing with the eternals, you stay away from the unbelievers. Now, I know people right now who say that, you know, this is an evangelistic endeavor. You can't do it. Jude, he says, you see one as a false teacher. Don't try to rescue him. You'll burn yourself. That's pretty serious. When it comes to worship, when it comes to ministry, when it comes to evangelism, when you cannot have religious cooperation between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. Why in the world... Would we give Satan access? Please understand, it's not misguided people. It's satanic. Listen, even today, I showed you Ephesus, I showed you Corinth. I showed you the warning, warnings to the Corinthians and the warnings that was given to Timothy. Even today, Satan wants to help. He wants your ministry to flourish. 
and to be profitable. Really? Really? You think I'm wrong? I got into trouble years ago. Okay? What can I, everybody says, well, you get into trouble daily. I had a meeting up in Boulder with a guy named Pastor Ryle and one of his great disciples. And they had a vision because they were noticing that men were not taking up the spiritual leadership that they deemed was mandated. Sounds right, doesn't it? Sounds right. Okay. Do you know who his greatest disciple is? Pastor Ryle? Coach McCartney. You know it. Promise keepers. Okay? I won't even get into the things that I heard during this meeting because it had never, there had never been, it hadn't even existed. I was listening to it and they were all wanting us to get on board. After the first year, the Southern Baptist Convention came out and says, but what they have seen, this is truly, truly of movement of God. A week later, Catholic Cardinal came out and said the same thing. A week after that, the chief bishop of the Mormon church said, this is truly a movement of God. I hate to break the news to you. Somewhere in there, somebody's lying. And I won't get into what I heard from his pastor. That's, that there is, is laughable. I stood up and said, no, I don't want no part of promise keepers. Not one iota of promise keepers. Before the first year. Because I sat at the table and the only thing I got out of it was some donuts. Okay? Because I didn't even... It got so stupid sitting there listening. I didn't even have a question to ask. And I'm saying, if this is the spiritual foundation of this, I don't want no part of it. I agree. Men do not do what God has called them to. Amen. But I know this, promise keepers ain't getting it done because they are dealing with the eternals and they're dealing with the doctrine of demons to get it done. And it ain't happening. Listen, that's Satan's approach. Listen, Satan does not fight the church. He wants to join it. He wants to be a part of it. He can't we all just get along? When he fights the church, the church gets stronger. Why? It is the blood of the martyrs that is the seed of the church. But when he joins the church, every single time, you know what happens? It dies from within. Paul called it gangrene. To many, wow, but isn't that a way to reach the lost? No. It is a way to have a slow death. A believer and a non-believer cannot come together for a common spiritual ministry. Period. It's impossible. How do you have a truth and a lie? And how do such opposites work together? 
How can you have light and dark and have a better light? How do you do that? Let me, who controls? You have two rulers, Christ and Belial. Belial is another term for Satan. They get along well, don't they? Right? I mean, the Mormons believe they're brothers. Perfect. How can you do that if the leaders are enemies? Let me ask you a question. How well does your flesh and the Spirit of God get along? Because that's basically what you're going to be doing. Separate from non-believers in any activity dealing with the gospel. It has no part with an unbeliever. Period. Unbeliever. Now listen, an unbeliever can receive the gospel, but you have no partnership until they have received the gospel. Okay. How do I get rid of Satan? How do I cut this thing off? You're not going to like this. You identify the teachers publicly. Publicly. Herminius and Alexander, I've set them outside, given them over to Satan. Teach their flesh so that they do not blaspheme. You identify them. They're a false teacher. I've done it over the past. I'm not afraid of that. They're false teachers. Well, doesn't that offend people? You betcha. <laughs> you betcha. But you know what? It's better than having leaven in the church. You know, I, we look at this. I remember right after 9-11, everybody went to Yankee Stadium. And you had all these religious people standing up there because we're going to be united. And I thought, do you realize how stupid that is? Satan's going, right on, right on, right on. God's saying, 2,000 years out and these people don't get it. Let me tell you something. The church is the key to everything. Period. And when the church lets error in, it will eat like gangrene. It will ruin the faith of some. It will shipwreck the faith of others. And you have to watch. Because you know what? A false teacher don't get up on Sunday morning and says, Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to tell you that I'm a false teacher, but I would like to help you. Okay? I heard a pastor uh, explaining that divorce was God's way of saying you married the wrong one. Go find the right one. Perfect. A dandy there, I'm thinking. It is very subtle. They look like Christians. They may even sound like Christians. But let me tell you something. You are dealing with the father of lies. Okay? Do you understand what that means? He's the one who produced it. That's a tough. That's a tough view, Terry. Yeah. But I think I've proved that it's biblical. Listen, if you want to see purity, if you want to see power, and you want to see truth of the church, that is how you reach the lost. Period. You've got to show them that you've got something they don't have, nor do they have any ability to get. 
But you have to watch out for deceivers. How many people do you deal with on a common day that says, yes, I believe in God? You know, there's some of them that even tell you. I can tell you things about God. Ask them that question that I ask them. What's he look like? That messes with them. But you know what? It cuts through an awful lot of stuff. If you sit down and talk to a Mormon right now, he will sound just like a Christian. He will. But you had better ask him some specific questions or her about what meaning does she put into. Because you know what? They believe that Jesus Christ is a created being. He's not. He's God. He ain't a created being. Well, he did really good when he was down here for 33 years. He was perfect. And so he got his own creation somewhere else. Well, why did I think of that? That's not true. Listen. There is no place for compromise in this. And what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us is that do not, in spiritual, eternal things, be bound with an unbeliever. Period. All right. One last thing I do want to give you because I've had some people ask me some questions. If this text doesn't deal with marriage... then how do we try to steer our children, okay, um, not to marry an unbeliever? Okay, fine. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39. You can go beat all your children to death with this. Verse 39, 1 Corinthians 7. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, But if her husband is dead, she is free to marry whom she wishes. Only in the Lord. Okay? That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Do I need to explain that? There's no compromise. Listen again, marriage is a spiritual endeavor. It has eternal ramifications. You should not be bound with an unbeliever. Ask yourself a question. Use, do not be yoked with an unbeliever, okay? You got the yoke, you got the ox on one side, the donkey on the other side, and everybody's thinking about their husband and wife. I just wonder what's going on in. But anyway. <laughs> okay, if you, if you take that picture that they give you out of Deuteronomy, How can the unity of the two individuals to become one, how can the donkey and the ox keep a straight line? Okay, because marriage is a spiritual thing. I don't care what anybody says. Okay, how how can you do that if you're... (laughs) If you're hooked up with a donkey... (laughs) everybody says, how'd you know? (laughs) As a Christian, in our relationships, they can only go so deep when there's two masters. I've dealt with this over and over and over and over again. 
that I watch people who have married um, an unbeliever, or in some cases, they were two unbelievers and one come to salvation, and there's this constant conflict. It's always there. Okay? Why? <laughs> one's a donkey, <laughs> and one's an ox. And I'll let you guys do your own study on which is which. The key to this understanding is that ministers are to separate so we have an impact and we keep away the father of lies. Okay, now how does that look? Well, he starts it off with five questions, but then what he does is you'll see that if we try to be a part with false teachings, it's senseless. Okay, it's idolatrous, it's rebellious. It has no benefit, and it shows a thankless heart. But other than that, it should be a piece of cake. Okay, so three weeks, I have covered 360 degrees of what this text ain't, and now I have shown you what it is, and I'll show you over the next few weeks what Paul tells us to overcome it. Let's pray. Father, to your glory and praise. Help us. Help us to stand fast in the truth of Jesus Christ and the truth of your word. Help us to be workers not ashamed, rightly dividing truth. Help us, Father. We can't do this on our own. We are not adequate. So, Father, give us a passion in the core of our soul for your word that we may be able to fend off the wiles of the evil one. We will stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Father, these are harsh words in this day and age. And it stands completely against our culture. But Father, let us stand in the gracious power of our Lord and Savior. As you continue to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we can think or imagine. To your glory and praise. Amen.